Good morning. morning. Afternoon. Sorry. Afternoon. Uh, For those who don't know uh, who I am, my name is Nick, and I get the honor and privilege to be the pastor of counseling here at Solid Rock. And uh, I just want to say that I am honored to be able to speak in front of you and and, uh, the, the blessing this church has been in my life and my family's life because I am a sinner. I have been forgiven much in my life. And and God continues to do those things of working in me and, and revealing things and forgiving me. And so for God to take someone like me and be able to do this is truly humbling. And uh, I really appreciate our church family here. And, and so I'm excited to be with you this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 1. And we've been going through this series on redemption and uh, talking about how God is the author of change over creation in general, but also he is the author of change in the story of redemption of our lives. And so as we've been doing this, um, I've been greatly impacted by some of the testimonies that we've seen and, and watched and hearing how God has used those people um, in the circumstances and the situations too, to conform them and to make them more like Christ. And so one of the things that uh, over this past year that has been dear to my heart is how God uses trials in our lives to, to shape us and to use us. And, and um, part of that is the story of what my wife and my family and I have walked through this past year um, and doing our pastoral residency. And so when we look at these trials and things, I think the best way to understand it is first by understanding, one, who God is, because he is the author of everything and the creator of everything. So from him, everything has been created, everything has been given purpose and his will. And so we have to first understand him, and then we understand the story of redemption, of the creation, the fall, uh, the cross, and then the fact that God is sanctifying us and one day he's coming back as conqueror, that we can understand our trials in a better way when we understand it in the story of redemption. And so if you turn to James 1, chapter 1, and... uh, When we get started, James starts off right away and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He says, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the very first thing he talks about in the, is the servant of God is it's this idea of being a slave. And so James is, he's, he's associating with his brothers that have been dispersed throughout the area because of persecution themselves. But I, I think also just being a servant of God and being a slave of God is that idea of recognizing one, who God is, and then submitting ourselves to his authority. And so as we go through these uh, passages and speaking about trials and, and God's purpose, Let's get our mindset into that, that we are submitting ourselves first and foremost to God in all that we say and do, even our reading of Scripture. And even in looking at trials, uh, we being servants of God and submitting ourselves to the author of creation, the author of redemption, the author of change, that he is sovereign and ruler over all. And recognizing who he is in his place and our place, and I think this is the most important thing that when we're going through trials, that we can rest and that we can trust God because of who he is and what God's word describes as who he is. We can rest in him even in tough times. 
So James, a servant of God, in verse two, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, that when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This idea of um, meeting or encountering uh, these trials is that it's an unwelcomed, unanticipated, unexpected trial. When we look at this word, it's very clear that these are not wanted things that happen in our life. Um, one of the things that sometimes we want to prove ourselves and so we don't go seeking after these trials. We don't go seeking after testing to prove ourselves. That's not what this is describing. This is describing believers going about their lives and these unexpected things are going to be happening or these unanticipated, the biggest one is unwelcomed. It's not one, something you're seeking out. These trials of various kinds come for you. And the example of this is in uh, Luke when Jesus is giving the parable of the robber and the good Samaritan. And so this person is going down the road, he gets robbed. It's an unexpected turn of events. It is an unexpected situation and an unanticipated uh, circumstance. And so we see the same usage here that he's uh, describing how we are to see these trials that are coming, that they're various in kinds. And so we see there's internal struggles, trials, and there's external. The internal are the things that come from within us. Choices we make, uh, sins that we hold to or enact upon, uh, these things are where the internal trials come uh, from our lives. And he also describes an external source. So we have choices that we make ourselves that impact our life and the lives around us. We also have people who make choices that impact their life, but in turn impact my life. But we also have fallen humanity in, in the world that things happen just being part of this fallen creation that trials can come just from those alone. And so when we see these trials of many kind and, and the testing that is coming is to prove a quality of worth of someone or something through adversity. I am at my best when I am in air conditioning. I am at my best when I've been fed and burped and I'm happy, okay? I'm at my best when the kids are on the couch reading their Bibles and they're playing nice with each other. I'm a great father when that comes to happen, all right? It's when they are showing their sin nature. It's when I am hungry. It's when I am stuck in traffic that, that reveals something inside of me. So these trials shake us up a little bit. And so what happens is it proves a quality of worth and sometimes to me, a lack of through adversity. We see the trials being part of our humanity in, in Hebrews where uh, Jesus is talking, or they're speaking about Jesus being our high priest. And the reason that he's a greater high priest is because he knows what we've been through. He can be empathetic to what we have grown up into. Jason spoke about that of his upbringing, that he probably sweat and had to take a shower and went through puberty and all these things. So there's a part of humanity of a common experience we do get hungry, or some of you, like, you get that hungry, angry, what they call hangry, where all of a sudden, like, this, you know, the Snickers commercial where, like, this ugly celebrity comes out of you and you start acting horrible. Like, that's kind of what the trial reveals in your life. Just in the little simple things, like traffic, um, we went to go see a friend of mine up in Justin, Texas. It told us to go from South Fort Worth to Grapevine and then take 114 over to Justin, 
That was 20 or 30 miles extra, and that was shorter than going straight up 35. Traffic can be a test and reveal some things in your heart, right? We get really, like, all I-35 is just a big test for everybody right now. One of the other ones is marriage, um, parenting, that, that relationship. I used to think I was a really selfless person, that I was very giving, that, you know, <laughs> I was going to get married and just be this amazing husband. And I started having these opportunities where, like, what I wanted and what I needed to do weren't lining up the same. You know, when, when you're parenting and you're tired and you got to get up and you got to comfort your child, that desire that, oh, I'm going to be awesome at two in the morning, it's not there. It's not there. So we have these different trials that just happen a part of our life. But then we have things that happen um, that's just part of uh, our fallen world, like unemployment or losing your job, unexpected expenses, damage. Um, I'm from Oklahoma, so like you have tornadoes. That's just how it's going to happen. There's different things, or maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer or some medical thing that you had no control over, but because we need Christ in this fallen world, that it is there. So he's, he goes on, he says these various kinds of trials are coming, and we can have experience them internally and externally, but he says the testing of your faith, though, produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, and you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And there's no such thing as a perfect nick. There's at best a... Um, you know, something that's been broken and glued back together kind of version of Nick. But what God is talking about is an idea of himself being perfect and being complete because Christ is the only one that I know of that is perfect and complete. He lived his life sinlessly. He died upon the cross without sin and was resurrected. He did something I could not do. And so when God is talking about that you may be perfect, he's looking at the story of redemption of making me not just a better me, but he's making me into him being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we see this idea of trials of many kinds that we're going to meet, and this testing that can be linked. Um, this testing can come from God, and then the testing also in Scripture, and even just in our minds, we think of Satan. And one of the things Satan does that he's really good at is he's, he's very deceptive, and he's very um, subtle in the way he does things. Like when we look at the Garden of Eden and how he was enticing um, Adam and Eve, he didn't come right out and say, God's a liar. God doesn't know what he's talking about. He came out and he said, did God really say that? Like, will you really die? Like, I think this is getting blown out of proportion. Like, don't, sh God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so we see the subtlety in how he does things. We see him tack uh, Jesus's uh, humanity in the gospel of Mark when Jesus is wandering in the wilderness. And he's saying, well, if you're hungry, turn these loaves into bread. Jump off the building. He goes, legions of angels will come and save you. We see these multiform, subtle uh, things that Satan does. Um, one of the ones uh, that he's really good at is, is just the subtlety of, uh, you know, if you have a phone, like we love our phones, right? We can do anything and everything with them. But he doesn't come out and just say, okay, this is an elephant because we'd reject that, right? There's no way that's an elephant. It's a phone. What he does is he's like, this is awesome. This is great. This makes you happy. This is something you can't live without. This is something that you can't function without. And what happens? Your battery dies, chaos breaks loose. Your screen cracks, chaos breaks loose. 
My son likes our iPad and he'll play a little game on it. When the battery dies, chaos breaks loose. He is just like, his world has crumbled. And so we see that he's subtle with his sin and how he tempts us. But Psalm 66 and other passages talks about that these trials of that God allows to happen in our life, or even some that God causes, that it's to be a purifying agent in our lives. Just like the analogy of the gold, that when it's been heated up and refined, that it burns up all the impurities. And so what you have left is something is of worth, something that is of value, something that has quality. So something that has gone through the fire and coming out on the other side being better. And so one of the things that God does to do this also is his discipline in our lives. And so in Proverbs 3, we see the son who the, the son is being described and he's saying, do not, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like, do not despise the Lord's discipline in your life. Why? God's discipline is an act of love. It's an act of mercy that he doesn't leave us where we are at in our sin or in our struggles or in our suffering, but he takes our focus from what's here and now and he places it to something more eternal. And that's one of the biggest things that when we do go through things like um, couples have these fights and they get to this point where they're like, there's no way it can get any better than this. Nothing beyond this argument is there for our future. And we get really short-sighted and you, know, you lose your job and so you, you see no way out of it and you say, okay, there's no way I can pay my bills. We get really short-sighted. Even in simple little things like my son losing the battery to the iPad, his world crumbles because he cannot function or see something beyond what he's playing in that moment. And that's where we come alongside him and teach him that in this short-sightedness, there is something better. There's something greater. There is something more. And that's what God does to us when, he, when he's purifying us. That's what he's doing when he allows discipline to happen in our lives or when he causes it. It's an act of his love and his mercy. And so we ask, why should we face these trials with joy, it's because happiness is fleeting, right? You can go eat a great meal, but later you're hungry. Like Chinese food, you're hungry in 30 minutes, right? It's fleeting happiness. What God's talking about is a joy that's rested in him, and it takes you from this momentary piece of awesomeness to an eternal uh, overarching plan for your life that we can look to the story of redemption even in the midst of trials, that we don't have to be short-sighted. Even when these trials are because of our personal sins and our personal choices, God takes us from those and he lifts our eyes up to him. And one of the ways he gives and helps us in this is the purifying and the discipline. It says, if any, in verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. This wisdom, we can ask for it in the midst of our trials. And one of the things like being short-sighted that we'll tend to do is we'll say, okay, God is not here. God is distant. God has not been faithful. God said he would do this, but he's not doing this. We tend to lean on our own understanding. And one of the ways we see this lived out in, this, in, in Scripture is the story of Job, Right? So Job has all of these things happening to him. We have the benefit of knowing the story behind the scenes, right? But Job and his friends don't. So Job's friends start out great by just being with him, right? Then they start talking, and they get into trouble. And that's a kind of an example of when we start trying to lean on our own understandings, we try to come up with these sophisticated philosophical systems to explain what's going on. When we really just need to be looking to 
who God is and resting and trusting that he is creator overall. We don't have to lean on our understandings, but we can rest in this wisdom. And this wisdom that we see, it's, a, it's an understanding the nature and purpose of trials and knowing how to rely on God for victory. When I talk about trials and walking out on victory, we're talking about a faithfulness to God while walking through them. We're not talking about these super uber Christians that can just take trials and they bounce off of them like Superman, like, man, nothing faces him. Like, he's got his head up high. He's still praying like he just lost a loved one, but he's, he's out there mowing the church yard. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about um, walking through in faithfulness and trusting God. Because when we walk through trials, let's be honest, they hurt. They are tough and they are hard. And so we struggle and we go through those, but God gives us wisdom to understand his purpose and plan in our lives and how we can live in that. And the wisdom that takes us from being short-sighted is that it gives us a perspective to understand our situation and our circumstances through the lens of God. Do you see the difference there? When we ask for godly wisdom, what it is doing is it provides a clear view of our situation because we get short-sighted. And I'm thinking and processing things with a sinful mind, a sinful heart. So we get a clear view of the situation from God's perspective. When we ask God to give, he gives and he gives generously. Valentine talked about God's love being steadfast. And then we're the ones who are normally wavering. It's the same thing. When we ask for wisdom, it's not God being gone or God not hearing us our prayer. It's us being being wavering in our faith and our trust in him and what we think it should be. But God gives generously and unwaveringly. His wisdom is revealed truth, and that is who he is. He is God. Verse 6 is starting this uh, description of people, these two believers. One, well, let me read it and then I'll explain Verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that purpose, um, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will uh, the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Here's an example of someone who has nothing. And God is lifting his eyes up saying, don't worry about what you don't have in this life. Short-sightedness. He's saying, look eternally for what you do have in the exaltation of Christ. The counter of it is the rich man who has everything. And God's reminding him, don't pursue after these things. Short-sightedness. Because they're all going to pass away anyways. They're all going to burn up and no, no longer be. So he's reminding them to be lowly in humiliation, just like Christ. So for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. What he's doing in this whole passage is he's reframing a circumstance and a situation with God's perspective taking the short-sightedness and placing it in this eternal story of redemption. So he goes on in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown. Does that sound short-sighted or eternally sighted? It sounds eternally sighted. So he's taking our eyes and he's moving them up. He's reminding us not our treasure is here, but it is in heaven and with Christ. He says, our tests, uh, he has stood the test and he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He qualifies this to those who believe in him, those who have been saved and who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. For those who love him, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. One of the big things that we struggle with is when we do face trials, it's, is this from God or is this from something else? And one thing we see very clearly in this, in this passage is that the character of who God is is without evil. He is good. He is without sin. It is against his nature to have those things, right? So what he's saying is, is that you cannot say you're being tempted by God because God cannot tempt. There's a difference between testing and trials and temptation. And he goes on and explains to us why this is. And part of the character of God that he describes is that God's character brings about life and wisdom. When we go against that and we follow our own, it brings death and foolishness upon ourselves because God is a God who gives good gifts. And one of those is the discipline we talked about. Roman, uh, Psalms 94 talks about blessed is he um, who is disciplined, okay? Because it's an act of God's love and his mercy. So one of the things that we struggle with as Christians is temptation, right? That's one of our gravest things that we face when we do trials. Uh, the temptation to question God or to question God's goodness or question whether God is even there, we, we wonder, where is he at in all this? If God is so good, how could this have happened? Have you heard that before? Have we said that? So we started getting this temptation to question God. And James is reminding us that it's not God that's wavering. He is steadfast. His character and who he is has never changed and will never change. What's changing is the things inside of us and the world we live in around us. And so where does this temptation come from? Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That doesn't sound like anything external, does it? It's very internal. By his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. So when we talk about desires, desires... And Matthew talks about treasures, where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. We see in other passages where the heart is the, is the holder of our desires, the things we want. Out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. So the heart is the center, it's the inner man. And so these temptations and these desires come from within inside of us. There's a biblical counselor, his name's Paul Tripp, and he's really good at taking practical um, practical applications to things. And one of the ones he shares, if, if I had a cup, I would do it with this, but he takes a bottled water or a cup and he says, if I shake this, what comes out? Well, the answer is water. And he says, why? Because that's what was inside of it. One of the things when we go through trials and hard, hardships or suffering, even consequences of our own sin, is we want to say that they caused us to sin. That the guy who cut me off in traffic made me angry. But what this passage is telling us is that circumstance is just your cup being shaken, your heart being shaken. 
in the anger or the frustration or the hatred or the lust, the woman didn't cause you to lust. The lust was already there. The opportunity or the situation just revealed what was already inside. And so what God is, or what this passage is saying, what God is revealing to us is that God's character is unwavering. So if it's anybody who is wavering, it's us. Where does that come from? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. I got news for you. I don't want those desires. Thank goodness God allows me to walk through things to reveal those. Because by revealing those, then we can take those things before God. Because when sin has conceived it fully grown, it brings forth death. If you do the tree analogy and the roots are your heart, <clears throat> your inner man, the tree trunk and its branches, its structure is your thought life. And your thought life produces actions and those actions show up as fruit. Bad root, bad heart, evil, temptation, desires produces bad fruit. And these opportunities and trials and suffering as a way to reveal those things in our lives that were already there. <clears throat> we can't blame it on anybody else. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, God held Satan accountable for it, <clears throat> but he also did for Adam and Eve. Satan doesn't cause us to sin, our spouse, our children, the guy in the car next to us, the, our boss at work. It's a choice on our part. And so these, these trials and all these things Reveal them in our hearts. And so that's why James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That's why we are, it's so important to be a part of church and the community, to have God's word being poured into us, not just weekly, but every day, so that we can not be deceived by what Satan is doing. And one, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. It is us. God does not fail us. We fail him. And the beauty of this, this, this section here is in verse 18. And it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of the, cre of the creatures. What he's talking about is salvation. What he's talking about is God redeeming what he has created. That's what we've been talking about this whole series is God taking something broken that he created, that we marred and broke it and tore it up with sin, and he is redeeming it. And so we see even in this passage talking about trials and of various kinds and, and testing and even temptation that comes from within. It's God is saying that by his will he has brought forth the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, his creatures. Isn't that amazing? This um, past year, uh, the, the elders and Jason um, approached me and my family about going into this uh, residency program for pastors and kind of like a mentorship. And we're really excited about the, uh, the idea of it. And it was a normal year. Like we were working, we had Zach and Abby, Kate was pregnant which she's pretty much been pregnant for all the six years we've been married. So it was a normal year, and we were getting ready to have Emma. And uh, I just remember going into this thinking, 
all right, this is great. I'm going to come out a better pastor, a better husband, a better father, a better employee, a better friend. I just had all of these greatness. And like, I guess what I was really just was like greater awesomeness for me that I could do more. And, um, and what, what I had in my mind, it wasn't really articulated, but it was there. God had a different plan for this past year. And so the first part of it went well. When, you know, we were serving and we were going through things, and um, December came and we ended up having Emma, and things were great and fine. And, but, you know, when you add another kid, it gets tough. You know, you've got different sleeping schedules, different, you know, I'm hungry, she's hungry like every 10 minutes. You know, you're just, you're tired. You, you're going through your life, you work, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to put three kids in one room and, <laughs> and then one not wake the other one up and have this domino effect. And uh, so we had all this stuff going on. And I remember it was the beginning of this year after, you know, we'd had Emma and everything. And I remember meeting with the elders at Chili's. They were already there. By the way, they eat there a lot, a lot. And so they said, come by. And so we were talking and they just asked me, like, Nick, how are you doing? Now, I'll be honest, my first reaction was just to say, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, things are good. But I, what I needed to say was I'm tired. I feel worn out. I feel kind of depleted. And it was hard for me to say that to them. And it was just something inside of me saying, like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to say that. Like, you should be above that. You're just going through a little bit of toughness. And so I really kind of resisted that question at first, and I really wanted to say, no, I'm fine, but I sat there for a moment, and God just really started pushing on me, saying, tell them the truth. Tell them you're tired. It was hard. Just something that little simple to just admit and confess that I'm like, I'm tired. And they were great. They prayed, and and they started taking some things off of my plate to help me out. And I was really grateful. And so I started feeling better and a little more or less stressed. And so we started going through that. And Emma's two months old, getting ready to turn three months in March. And I come home from work, and she's just not breathing right. She's very labored. She's had all this congestion. And I mean, it's, she's two months old, so she's just upset. And you can tell something's wrong, but you don't know what it is. And so we ended up going to the hospital near our house, and they did some stuff with her, and they ended up taking her by ambulance to Cook's. And when a uh, hospital sends you to another hospital by ambulance, you're not feeling very confident in things. And so I just remember going and ended up at Cook's, and we had people watching the other kids, and we were just sitting there, and Jason was there, and he just asked me, He goes, how you doing? And all I could say was frazzled. I wanted to say I was okay and I was fine, that God was in control, and I knew the right answers. But honestly, I was scared. I didn't know what to think. We spent um, the week in the ICU there. I think it was like the second day, and, uh, and then she's in this crib. She's got all these tubes and wires, and Kay was asleep. She was tired, 
it was like two or three in the morning, I was sitting by her bed and I was praying and thinking, and I was just, it was the first time that that I could lose one of my kids. It wasn't part of my plan. You know, I served God and I love God and try to take care of my family and I just, losing her was not part of it. I was just wanting blessings from God. I wasn't wanting to walk through that. And, uh, it's just not something that I was willing to trust him in completely because what it felt like is that I wanted to hold her and make sure nothing happened to her. But it, what God was asking me was to give her to her, and it was scary. Because it was out of my control. And God really started revealing this idol of control in my life. That if you'd asked me, Nick, do you trust God? I would have said yes, without a doubt. But after walking through some of these things, God started showing me that it wasn't complete. That I was missing some things in my trust of him. Because I was worried that if I gave her to God, that he was going to take her. Or at least that was an option I didn't want to go with. So we went through that, and we finally got to go home. And... Uh, this is the beginning of March, and a week later, I get a call from my mom. My dad was in a wreck in New Mexico, and he was taken to the hospital. He was unconscious, and I thought I lost my dad, to be honest with you guys. And so first thing is, all right, we're going to take off, and I'm going to go pick up my mom in Oklahoma. We're going to go to New Mexico. And so I'm driving, and uh, we're, I'm cutting through Gainesville to Sherman on Highway 82 in this truck, lost a piece of angle iron and it punctured my gas tank. And uh, I just didn't know it at first, but then I just saw my gauge go, I get to Sherman and I'm just thinking, God, why? Like, you know, I had these plans of what I was gonna do and this, this, what I was gonna do to help my mom and my dad and, and I just felt like I kept hitting all these roadblocks that were beyond my control. Like, how do you control your gas tank getting punctured? So I get there and they're working on it and they're telling me how much it's gonna cost and so that's kinda like weighing on me and then I was like, well, are there any rentals? And there's not one rental in all of Sherman or North Texas that day. So I'm just kinda like, okay. So now I gotta get someone to come get me, to take me to go get my dad. And we're still trying to find out what's going on with him and there's just real spotty and and so it was just hard that, that wanting to control and be in charge of things and make sure the outcome came out the way I wanted it to, it just wasn't working for me. And it was God using these things to take them out of my control. And so we were, I was just pushing through and just thinking, I just got to get through this, just got to get through this. There was other things going on at work and, and some tests that I was needing to take. And I was just thinking, I got to get through this. I got to get through this. And... Um, so my dad ended up being um, okay. Um, he was really shooken up and struggled with that. And, and then later in March, my, both our kids had to have ear surgeries. And uh, Abby lovingly knocked her brother upside the head. And so he had to have one fixed. 
So that was more time at the hospitals. And I was just, by that time I was sick of hospitals. The year before, you guys know that we had walked through this stuff with our, uh, our niece and our nephews. And like, we had spent like eight months in a hospital. So like, we're kind of done with hospitals. And um, so all of that. And then in April, we found out my father-in-law's here. through some testing that he had cancer. And that whole just trying to push through, just to make it through, and doing it my own strength. It just wasn't working. You know, so then we're, we're stuck in Oklahoma. We try to go see him. And uh, the transmission goes out in our car. And we get a towed Toyota, and they tell us it's going to be $10,000. And uh, I don't have $10,000. You want to talk about taking things out of your control? You know, it was just happening, one thing after another. And, you know, my, and I was, my wife, you know, she, we're wanting to go up and see the family. And, you know, it's just all these things were going on. And... Uh, and I just didn't see a way to fix it. And it was just driving me crazy. And I kept telling um, my counseling class that I was doing, I was like, I just kept saying, I just got to get through this. and I got to figure it out. And, and uh, looking back, in the moment, I didn't see it as well. But now looking back, I see that God was using those trials and those things in my life to reveal that idol of control. It's to reveal that there were things that I didn't fully trust him in. And it was hard. It was tough. Um, you know, I, we, I did ask for wisdom, and God was faithful, even though I didn't walk through it perfectly. Um, God was still good. God still gave his generously. The church here just poured out their love on us, practically and spiritually. And it was really the first time that we had had a community of people that really spoke truth into our lives in the midst of a trial that I've never experienced before. And one of the things was not just that I confessed to God that I needed him, was the fact that I confessed to my church my need for God and my need for them. And not trying to do it on my own so that I could say I did it on my own or that because I could look superior or strong. It, is, it was hard to just say I need help. And God used these things to work them out of me and, and just all of these things. And so that was just a rough part of our year. And the thing of it is, is if God had taken my daughter and if, if we never got our van fixed or my dad or whatever is going on, that it doesn't change the fact that who he is and that he is good and that we don't have to get bogged down in the here and now, but we can look eternally to the crown of life and to what he is doing. And it changed everything. It wasn't so much now of I just got to get through this. It became now that I can rest, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of trials, just even in the midst of hardships. Because I'm not called to have my perfect situation. I'm called to be faithful to him even in the midst of trials. They come in various, various forms. They are unwanted, unwelcome, and unanticipated. But God is still there. 
And so as we get ready to transition um, and respond to what God has revealed to us today, I'm going to ask Jason to come forward. I'll just have you bow your head and, and just ask God to reveal some things that maybe he's already started to. For me, God revealed an idol of control. Maybe God's revealing something else for you. Or maybe you're just going through a, a season of trials or suffering right now that is just beyond your control. And I just pray and hope that right now that you can just find that rest in who God is. That we wouldn't become so short-sighted that we miss out on the eternal story of what God is doing in our lives. As we get ready to prepare for taking and observing communion, I just ask that you would just prepare your heart that it would be right before the Lord. That it would be not something we take uh, flippantly or just uh, shallowly, but that we would really ask that God would prepare our hearts to remember what he has done.